I got an opportunity to work at a financial services firm in a very creative role. So here I was writing. I was writing every day, getting paid financial services money for it. And that was great and a great lesson to us all. I think a lot of times we get into binary thinking around, oh, well, I could do something creative or I could make money. There's no way you can do both. And I was like, oh my goodness. This is the Happen to Your Career podcast with Scott Anthony Barlow. We help you stop doing work that doesn't fit you, figure out what does, and make it happen. We help you define the work that's unapologetically you, and then go get it. If you're ready to make a change, keep listening. Here's Scott. Here's Scott. Here's Scott. Hey, welcome to the Happen to Your Career podcast. I'm Scott Anthony Barlow. This is the show where we share stories of how high achievers find career happiness and meaning. And our guest today, she has a superpower for helping people create pretty amazing career opportunities. She's helped people engineer overseas assignments, flexible work arrangements, negotiate sabbaticals, and created more bespoke roles for herself than others and she can count. And she's got 20 years of experience leading organizations through change and made some pretty cool career pivots of her own. She is none other than our very own Caroline Adams, who works with Team HTYC right here, but also has a coaching business of her very own. Caroline, welcome to Happen to Your Career. Thanks, Scott. Thrilled to be here and hope I can live up to that intro, but really excited to be here and take some questions, tell my story, and then take some questions from folks at the end. Well, so glad that you mentioned that. First of all, I've gotten to know you a bit over the past year, and I absolutely know that you can live up to that and then some. I'm an engineer who was living in Portland, Oregon, and was moving up to Seattle, Washington to support my wife's career change. This is Michael. He's made career changes before, but this one was different. A lot of the folks I talked to using sort of my normal channels were often saying, hey, we'd love to have somebody like you on the team. Unfortunately, we just let three or four people just like you go because there's not enough work to go around anymore. Listen for Michael's story later in the episode to learn how he used coaching to help him figure out what fits him and make the change to work he loves. You have somebody in your corner who's looking out for your best interest. They're pushing you to be the best version of yourself and to stretch and grow yourself consistently towards that best self. Caroline, I'm excited to talk about your past because you've got a really interesting one and also how you've worked your way through to what it is that you do now. But first of all, how would you describe what it is that you get to do now? What is being a coach with either your business or HTYC look like? What are you spending your time doing every day? Well, I think you summed it up pretty well in the beginning. I help people really recognize their strengths, understand what they like to do, not just what they're good at, because a lot of times we get people who are really good at things that they don't enjoy doing. So kind of understanding the difference and getting them into a career they love and a life they love. That's what I spend the bulk of my time doing with H2YC. And we'll get into it more when I tell my story. But when I'm not coaching students, I actually love to write and I love being creative. So in addition to running my business, well, it's creative. I guess every business owner has to be creative, but not necessarily the ways we want to be. But I have been creating this kind of coaching business and career for myself. It also gives me space to do a lot of the things that I've always wanted to do in my life. 
So I spend as much time doing those things as possible. Which as it turns out, that is exactly what we are all about. And part of how we ended up meeting too, because there was so much alignment there. Well, I also know though, that that's not where it started out for you. So I love to go for just a minute way back. Where did your professional career start? And how on earth did we go from there all the way up here? So I'd love to go into that. Where did it start out for you, Caroline? It's a great story. So let me just caveat it by saying, like, I think sometimes when we get in these career discussions, to the people listening, it might sound like it was a smooth past. And I know when I've listened to people telling their stories, it sounds like they figured it out very easily. And I want to assure folks that most of my career journey was fear, inertia, not listening to my intuition, settling, rationalizing, all those really not empowering things. And so luckily, I kept at it and figured things out. But I know a lot of people are in that space right now where they're really struggling to figure out what they want and how to get there. And I want to convey that I totally know because I've been there myself and there is light at the end of the tunnel. So to answer your question, Scott, I started out in management consulting. And it's interesting that you started there because it was a great experience. It was the real life MBA Uh, And it was all that I could have asked for. I really still use a lot of what I learned at that time now, but I fell into my career or that beginning role. In what way? In that I started, I always thought growing up, so take you way back. Yeah. So I grew up always thinking that I would have a creative career. I wanted to be an interior designer or a writer. And for many reasons, we don't have time for, but many reasons I didn't end up pursuing that. So I started out in college. My brother was working at Accenture, what is now Accenture. He decided to make a career change himself. He offered as a bartering chip to that company, hey, my sister can step into this role. And there began my management consulting career. So I started as an intern in college and just continued after college. And that was it. So I really fell into it. And like I said, it was a good thing at that time. And I got a lot from it. But I didn't get it from really thinking intentionally and purposefully about what I wanted to do. And I think it set the stage in an interesting way because I think from the very beginning of my career, because I had had this expectation of doing something creative and I wasn't really, I always had this sort of cognitive dissonance and sense that you're meant to be doing something different and you're kind of limiting yourself by following this path. And so I think that was always kind of there, even from the very beginning of my career, that even when I enjoyed it and liked the work in what I was doing, as I often did, it didn't seem like it was the right path for me. What were some of the steps along the way that caused you to think that I actually need to do something about this? You knew that it wasn't necessarily the right path for you, but what happened along the way that brought you to the point where, okay, I know it's not the right path, but it's time to do something about this. Yeah. So it was a lot of trial by error. So my first jump was I jumped. So at the earliest possible opportunity, once I made manager, I said, okay, I'm going to go do something different. Jumped for all the wrong reasons. It ended up being not a great experience. I ended up (laughs) migraine headaches, weekly migraine headaches. So it really affected my health. Now that was before or after you jumped? That was after Accenture. So I I jumped. I was fine. I was healthy. I was just not fulfilling my purpose. It was that existential angst. There was nothing wrong. That's what I was saying. Like There was nothing wrong with my management consulting career. I just wasn't happy. 
So I jumped and I found out how unhappy one could really be. So in that role, it really affected my health. So I jumped again into design school. So that was a good jump, right? Because at least at that point, I had kind of told myself, okay, well, if you're going to jump again, make it mean something, right? At least go for it. And it's really interesting because while I took that risk of going to design school and in theory, kind of following my passion, rather than going to design school for interior design, which I had wanted to do, I did graphic design. So I think it just shows like the struggle I was having, even while taking these steps and risks to really give in and let myself do what I wanted to do. So I think there was a series of jumps and it was interesting because that jump to design school, interestingly enough, led me to the next role, which was as a summer job, right? So I was fully intending to become a graphic designer and change careers as a summer job through my connections. I got an opportunity to work at a financial services firm in a very creative role. So here I was writing. I was writing every day, getting paid financial services money for it. And that was great and a great lesson to us all. I think a lot of times we get into binary thinking around, oh, well, I could do something creative or I could make money. I you can't have both. There's no way. There's no way you can do both. And I was like, oh my goodness. And first of all, I only found this because I had let go of those other jobs and followed my passion, part of my passion, to design school and then ended up in this corporate environment, which I never expected to be in, but doing what I wanted to do. And so that was a great lesson and opportunity. It turned out to be so great. I left design school and ended up taking a permanent position. And that led to a 10-year career, really, to and making a bunch of different pivots, but within that organization. And so I could go on and on about that, but I don't know. Well, do you let want me to ask you this, Caroline, really quick. <laughs> so as you said, making financial services money, which is in many cases, not always, but most of the time, it's substantial compared to the average role or average company. And at the same time, getting to do writing. Yeah. And that really does for that point in your life sounds like the right combination of creative and financial goals and everything that happens in between. What was that role doing? And what was its main purpose? Just for people that are listening to help kind of think about these types of roles out there. Yeah, great. So it was corporate communications, right? So I wasn't writing the great American novel, right? So if that's your... You weren't going up to the cabin every week and writing and coming out. Yeah. Yeah. So I was limited on how, what creative license I could have, but I was still flexing those muscles and thinking about communications and thinking about getting ideas across and doing that succinctly. So it was corporate communications and it happened to be in the HR space, which actually kind of led me to my next pivot, which was I actually moved then from HR to anti-money laundering. Which is whoa, 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 what? Exactly. I did not know this about you. I had seen it someplace and I had been meaning to ask you for the length of time that I had known you, but it just never became relevant. Okay, so I want to hear about the anti money laundering space. What does that even mean, first of all? Is it exactly what it sounds like? So it's catching bad guys and it's very relevant if people are following the news right now. So it's a lot of criminals use the banking system to launder money. So they try to hide money that they've acquired through ill-gotten gains, and they try to wash it basically through the financial institutions. So this was catching bad guys. So although I was working for a financial 
services company, it did make me feel like I was doing something for the broader good, which I think, which we'll get to in a second, was also something that was important to me and starting to kind of niggle at me a little bit more because although I was doing something I really love, although I liked the people and it was moving up and getting promoted and making money, I was starting to feel more dissonance with, hmm, I'm not sure that this organization is the right fit for me. And I'm not sure that my values are the same. I'm not sure I can do the work in a way that I want to do it. So that changed. Just curious. What about the work changed? What changed in terms of either how your values changed or when you started to recognize that or what happened in order to cause you to realize that? I think it was always there. I think the initial shine wore off of the, hey, I'm getting to do something creative and make corporate money because you're like, oh, well, you're making corporate money because you're working for an institution. And so I think I started to really think back. And again, behind the scenes, this whole time is playing like you're meant for something bigger. What's your purpose? How can you help people? So I think I was really experiencing more of a day-to-day struggle with, you know, I enjoy this. It's not terrible, (laughs) but is this really my path? And could I be doing something more? I think it was more just about really wanting to have more of an impact on people's lives. And like I said, do things in a way that was more of my own creation, more autonomy, more of the way I wanted to lead. So I moved into anti-money laundering. And again, this is another piece that I want as people are kind of thinking through their career changes. A lot of times we assume that something is not clear how we get from point A to point B, that we have to go back to school, that it's another two years of experience that we need, that we need a certification, and that's not the truth. And as soon as you figure out what it is that you want to do, All you need to do is to be able to tell the story and be able to convey how you can use your current experience in a way that fits the role. And I think the move from HR to anti-money laundering was exactly that. I Partly, I had aligned myself with some great advocates who knew what I do, and, and that's another thing that we teach in CCB. So it's important to have the right people around you in positions of power and who can make decisions and have the willingness to make those decisions, but partly because I knew and I could convey to them that I didn't have any anti-money laundering knowledge before I started that, but I knew day one how to run that role. And I knew I could learn the anti-money laundering stuff on the side. And so I think for people out there, you know, as you look at job descriptions, as you talk to people, I think people tend to focus on like the one bullet point in the job description that they don't have. It says I need 17.7 years of experience, Caroline, and I only have 15.2 years of experience. So clearly I cannot ever do that role, at least not. Exactly. Exactly. And it's just not true. It's a wish list in a lot of cases. And the fact is that 50% or more, I'd even say, of what they have, plus all the other great stuff that they don't even know that they want yet. But once you tell them your story, they're going to say, oh, absolutely, we need that. So I think that was a key from a lot of the pivots that I made at that company is kind of leveraging the stuff that, again, not only I could do, but I wanted to do because it was about kind of getting better and getting closer each time and being able to connect those dots for the person that was doing the hiring and tell that story. So it can continue going on if you'd like about the other pivots I made. Here's what I'm curious about. It seems like in that particular occasion, 
you made that role change internally. Did I understand that right? Yes. And I think that we don't always talk about that on this particular show very often, but we've seen that happen a lot of times. That's very often how people get exceptions made for them. Like even though you didn't have, I don't know, X number of years of experience or a degree in money laundering. Is there a degree in money laundering? Anti-money laundering, I guess. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Or whatever it might be that would be appropriate for that role, you were still able to make the change. And I heard two things that I think are very important out of that. One was that you had built relationships to create advocates for yourself that helped get you the opportunity to even have the conversation in the first place. And then the other thing that I heard too is that you were approaching it from, hey, what value can I bring additionally to the things that they don't even know that they need potentially in this role, as opposed to just being caught up on the, well, I don't have that anti-money laundering degree. So I guess I'll go back to anti-money laundering school. So yeah, we've just shot down the dreams of every person, (laughs) anti-money laundering person. If anyone is interested, I do have a lot of connections in that field. But No, I think you're so right. Everything I've done in my career has been because I have talked to people about what I wanted. And I presented it often, you know, when they were in a position to help me directly with that, it was about conveying not only what I wanted, but how I would help them. It's all about the win-win. And I think it's 100% been how I've been able to navigate. And I think the objection I hear sometimes to that is, oh, well, I don't know what I want. So how do I go out and talk to people when I don't know what I want? You talk to people about what it is that you're doing and what you do know. Hey, I'm interested in changing careers. Here are the areas I'm exploring. Here are the things I like to do. And you talk to them and they give you ideas. And even as you're talking, you make connections just through kind of articulating things and hearing you say them out loud. And then you ask them to connect you to someone else who might be in a position to talk to you and you go from there. And so it took me a really long time in my career to learn that. So again, I don't want to convey that I knew this all along and was doing it super intentionally. It took me a long time to realize how important those relationships are. And I think it was why once I realized that I needed to do that and once I realized how meaningful it can be. I'm an introvert. And so I don't talk to people or I had created a habit where I didn't talk to people in any way that wasn't deep and meaningful. So I think I shied away from a lot of quote unquote networking because it seemed very superficial and it felt uncomfortable to me. And when I realized how to talk to people in a way in terms of what does this person care about? What does this person need help with? How can I help this person? It totally changed the game not only for me, but hopefully gave them a lot of help. And one of the ways I first did this actually was just being a great connector with people listening. You know, I wasn't asking them for anything. I wasn't even telling them what I wanted. I was just listening to what they wanted, what their problems were, what their big, you know, kind of dreams and goals were and saying, oh my goodness, I know someone that might be a good resource for you and just offering value that way. So there's a lot of really simple ways for people to try to start building those relationships. And we teach a lot of other more direct ones in CCB. But I think if you're just starting out and dipping your toe in the water, there's a lot of really good ways to start those conversations now. I absolutely love that. And I know you and I have had conversations about this on the side, but thank you for representing how it actually can work. And although 
you know, in like career change bootcamp, as an example, we've got all kinds of scripts and we've got all kinds of tools and systems and everything like that to be able to make this type of process easier. Really, it does come down to taking those actions and going out and making connections with real people in the world because yeah. that's, I mean, people hire people, not computers, not job applications don't hire people. Applicant tracking systems don't hire people. It is a case of real people make those decisions in just about any company that you'd want to work for right now. Yeah, it's so true. And I'm so glad you mentioned that point because I know today we're talking about filters. And again, learn from my mistakes. I spent a lot of my career in my head, dreaming up the things that I wanted to do, mapping them all out, doing a lot of planning, but I didn't take steps. And it's only when you take those steps, right? You look at my career, you know, going to design school for a semester. It only makes sense when you kind of look back from where I am now. Now the dots closely connect. But then I didn't know where I was going. I was just taking steps to experiment. And I think, again, CCB does a great job of helping people understand that it's not do or die. Like if you take a step forward and you talk to someone, you don't have to accept the job on the spot. You know, it's all about really figuring out, well, do I want to work here? And would this actually be interesting? I think it would be but let me check it out. Let me talk to someone that does it. So I think it's so important to take those steps and they can be the ittiest, bittiest baby steps. They can be side steps. They can be steps backward, but it's movement. And I don't care how great your filter is, if you're not taking steps to test it or use it, it's just going to be a filter and it's not going to be your reality. So I want to come back to this concept of the filter and how we've developed that over the years and what that filter even means for making difficult career decisions. But first, I'd love to hear just a bit more about how this finished out for you because you're in anti-money laundering and at some point you enjoyed that, you got into that. And then there's things that happened in between then and now. You mean clearly like anybody who's listened to your story so far can understand just some of the experiences that you've had that put you in a great position to be able to help others through this type of process. But what else happened that caused you to move the direction that you're in now? Yeah. So here's where the story takes a dark turn, Scott. So I burned out. So yeah. I loved the work, but what had been niggling at me, but I had failed to realize this was not the right environment for me. And working in that environment and the context around that and the way we did work, I burned out. So I took a sabbatical, which by the way, the side podcast, maybe I negotiated that sabbatical. It was not something that was a given. So if you're thinking about doing it, there are great ways mm -hmm. to figure out how to give yourself time and space to really take a breather or even kind of take a pause to figure out where you want to go next. I took a sabbatical and it was on that sabbatical that I conceived of, okay, I'm going to become a coach and get my certification. And yeah, it was really that sabbatical and that pause where I really had to step out of the context. And for me, I was exhausted. So spiritually, mentally, whatever. So in the beginning, I was just trying to get back to be a whole person. I knew I wanted to figure out my next steps, but it took me a while. And I encourage people not to get to this point in the first place by recognizing the warning signs sooner. But in first stepping back, so I think it was good that I recognized that I needed to do something differently. And then I settled on coaching and we can talk about my filter and how I got to that place. But that's the rest is history. So now I'm a coach. 
I write, I create, I run the business, I run my life, and it's a great place to be. Well, let's talk about that concept of the filter then. And yeah, I would absolutely love to hear how you have filtered some of these decisions for yourself as well as we go along here. And when we're talking about a filter, we can tell a little bit about what it is and how it works and everything like that. But I find that it's most useful for when you're faced with those really difficult decisions like, hey, should I take this other job? Or how do I know that this particular company is really worth my time? Or is this type of role really actually going to be something that makes me more happy more often? And how do you really even know in those cases? It's something that's so difficult to be able to know, right? So first of all, how would you define what a filter has done for you or what it is? Yeah. So I think in terms, I hope this isn't too out of left field for people, but I'm a minimalist, an aspiring minimalist. So for me, minimalism is about maximizing what's most important and letting everything else fall away. And for me, that's what a filter does is it puts up front and center. These are the things that I want in my life that are the most essential. And so as all that other noise kind of hits you, you can, in a very methodical or holistic way, be able to filter them out, right? So you get out the bad stuff and really just keep the stuff that's most important. I'm an engineer who was living in Portland, Oregon, and was moving up to Seattle, Washington to support my wife's career change. Remember, Michael? We already told you that he'd made some career changes before, but this one in particular, it was different. A lot of the folks I talked to using sort of my normal channels were often saying, hey, we'd love to have somebody like you on the team. Unfortunately, we just let three or four people just like you go because there's not enough work to go around anymore. Michael realized that this was not an opportunity for a change in location. This could be not just a lateral move from one city to another, but it could have the opportunity to be a promotion as well. Leading projects to potentially leading teams of technical people. And that has sort of been where I wanted to be for a long time. As we worked with him, he began to explore a much bigger picture. It wasn't just about finding a job. It was about finding my place in a community and being able to show folks that I wasn't there just to, just to find something. I was interested in our conversation beyond the Mike needs a place to land in Seattle. He put in the work to really connect with people and made it happen. As we're speaking now, I'm sitting in my new apartment, having unpacked most of it in a gap week between when I left my old job and when I'm starting my new job. Congratulations to Michael on finding work he loves that fits his family's needs. If you also want to figure out what work fits you and find that fulfilling career that lights you up and gives you purpose, find out how coaching can help you step by step. Go to happentoyourcareer.com and click on coaching to apply or pause right now and text my coach to 44222. Again, you can just pause right now and we'll send over the application. Text my coach to 44222. And what was wonderful about working with the Happen to Your Career team was that I was able to learn so much about how to go from good to great in that, that career transition. Have you ever heard the story of Warren Buffett and he ended up in a conversation with his pilot about, have you heard that story? It's about like do the five things and then yeah, yeah, yeah. For those people who haven't heard the story, it goes something like this and I'll probably butcher it a little bit, but it, Warren Buffett ends up in this conversation with his pilot and his pilot is trying to decide what he wants to achieve with his goals and his career and his life. And they start talking about it and Warren Buffett says, hey, 
here's what I want you to do. I want you to go ahead and write down your top 25 goals. Just get them all, take whatever, take several hours, write down all top 25. And then I want you to go ahead and prioritize which ones fall into the top five, right? And at the end, you're going to separate these into two groups. You're going to have these top five, and you're going to have the other 20 that didn't make the top five, right? And then I want you to basically get rid of the 20 that were not the top five. Just throw them out. Don't even look at them until you have accomplished and done the top five, because clearly those are the most important to you, and the rest honestly doesn't matter as much. So I kind of sort of see that as the same type of thing. And that's just another angle or another way to look at it. But helping you decide, hey, what is really, truly most important? Because when you focus on everything, it starts to, one, get really, really complicated. It's already a complex problem. And then two, there's no way that anybody, no matter how much success, money, anything else that you have, can have everything. It is physically impossible. So... Here's a question for you then. With thinking about the concept of this filter, and by the way, this is something that we call inside some of our programs when working with our clients and students, we call it an ideal career profile that ends up acting as this filter to be able to make decisions around. But how have you used the concept of a filter in your latter career? So it's a great question. and There are a bunch of techniques I'll explain. I think just one other primary value of this filter is that yes. once you actually get out and start doing and start seeing job descriptions and start getting offers, all of this stuff that's not on your top five or even your top 25 starts coming at you. I think the nature of how we're conditioned, we start trying to fit ourselves into that and say, oh, well, I can do those things. And we forget about all the hard work that we've done on figuring out what we want. And I think what the ideal career profile does or any filter does is reminds you of those things as they're hitting you. And so anyway, I just wanted to mention that point. So just a few things I did. So one thing is time travel, right? And that is mining the past, right? So what are the things in my past roles that I really, really loved and why did I love them, right? I think that's really important to peel back all those layers and just not why, oh, that was super fun, but what about it? Was it because I was really in my strengths and able to honor my values or was it about the people and really get to understand that? Another is in the spirit of capitalizing on strengths, what's going really well in the present? So what are the things that I want to hold on to that are really great with my current role or the type of work I'm doing or my current organization, because we want to keep those and add others. We don't want to swap them out for different. We want to keep those and add more and better stuff on top of them. And then fast forward to the future. And a lot of people have probably heard this, like a lot of big coaches and big names out there have all sorts of different names for this, but basically you propel yourself into the future, right? Let's say you're 70, 75 years old. You look back on your life and you think about what do I want to have done? What's the sort of life that I want to have lived? What's important for me to say about my life? And especially for me, I think mining the past was actually how I got to coaching. And the fast forwarding to the future was how I got to a lot of designing my life. And so Mm -hmm. I knew coaching was the what, but kind of forecasting myself to the future and thinking back on my life was how I got to the how. Well, how do I want to run this business? And how do I want to help and coach people? And how do I want to make sure that I'm leading with these sorts of values? So I think 
kind of looking at yourself at different points in time is a great way to then get a 360 view of, you know, what are the themes that kind of keep coming up? And, you know, a lot of times there are some answers staring us in the face that it takes these sort of exercises to do to kind of pull us out of the immediacy of where we are. So that's one. I think another one I've kind of alluded to is designing your life first. So in my personal career, uh, career filter, in my um, filter, my ICP, let's call it, I started what life I wanted to lead. And career, of course, is a very important part of that. And how I make money is an important part of it, but it's a piece. And I think the way I was working before, and I see a lot of people doing this, is we focus on our career and then we try to fit our life into the nooks and crannies around the career. And then we're unhappy or frustrated when our life doesn't fit and starts getting pushed out by work. And so what I decided to do actually on sabbatical is no more. (laughs) I'm going to design the life that I want to lead. And then I'm going to figure out how to make my career, again, support that. So there are things I want directly from my career. And there are things that I want to use my career to be able to enhance in my life or help me further life goals. So that was another thing I did. We've talked about strengths. So I think a key was strengths. So I think everyone probably is nodding along saying, yeah, 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 strengths. I've heard strengths, it Strengths, yeah, yeah. Blah, 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 blah. Been there, done that. I think a big key with strengths, and especially because we work with high achievers, and high achievers are really good at a lot of different stuff. They can become good at stuff they never thought they'd be. And I think for those people, for you guys out there, I think it's really important to look at the things that you're good at and you end up doing and people recognize you for and ask yourself how much you enjoy those things. And I think one way to clear the filter is, you know, maybe your filter is, well, I love doing this thing and I'm really good at it. And you know what? I'm always asked to do this thing and it's always been told that it's a strength of mine, but I really hate doing it. Those are the things you put in your filter and you say, I am not going to do these, you know, by any means necessary. Like I cannot, you know, I must avoid these things at all costs. Those things that you are really good at, but you don't enjoy. I stole this term from someone who wrote a burnout book. Her name is Edie Greenblatt. And she calls these things sneaky depleters, right? It's sneaky depleters, I like Right. (laughs) Because you're good at them. You're good at them. Everyone recognizes you for them. You find yourself doing them, but it comes at a cost because you don't actually enjoy being there. So I think that's definitely something I had because I burned out, you have to understand too. So it was really important to me to say, well, what happened? (laughs) You know, what was I doing? I thought I was enjoying work so much. So it was really important for me to refocus on not only the strengths, you call them signature strengths. So the signature strengths that you're not only really good at, but the things you also are just really in your element in doing. I'll pause for breath and let you ask more questions. But I think the last thing I wanted to mention is, you know, kind of think about who you want to be. I think we get so focused on the role. What do I want to do? What's my passion? What's this thing that's out there? And what I really focused on is, well, who do I want to be in the world? How do I want to touch people? How do I want to help them? How do I want them to feel? after we've talked or whatever, and then, you know, find the sorts of roles and careers that fit in with that. And the beauty about that one is you can be that person right now in your current role, right? So you can start acting. I started acting like a coach, even when I was still very much stuck in my corporate job. 
but I could start bringing all of those elements in my filter, in my ideal career profile. I started doing those things and acting like that. I mean, I still did the role, but I could do it in a way that already started to give me a lot of space and actually pull me more quickly and more easily to that future goal that I wanted to end up in. That makes so much sense. And I love the piece about becoming who you want to be. I've given this a lot of thought, especially over the last five years in particular. And prior to that, I don't know that I'd ever really considered that if I wanted to go a particular place or I wanted to end up at a particular destination, if you will, for lack of a better phrase, then I would likely have to become a different person along the way. And that doesn't always mean that you have to make huge, huge changes. Sometimes this is about small behavioral changes and even starting to play that part if you want to think about it that way. So love what you're talking about that. And by the way, we will have all of these and references to this and the transcript as well on happenyourcareer.com slash 223 as the episode is released. And you can go over there and then you'll be able to get what we mentioned in terms of you know, time travel and mining the past and the present and the future and who do I want to become. So we'll have references to all that as well. And another great place, you know, as you're trying to develop a filter and begin to define what great career opportunity might look like for you is head on over to figureitout.co and that'll get you a starter way to begin to put that together. So those two great resources if you're really starting to fall in love with the concept of having this filter. But let's go back to the filter a little bit too and talk about some of the ways that this can be utilized. And I'm really interested in your opinion on this too, but I found one of the biggest benefits of taking the time to go through and identify what it is that you want and lay it out in a way that allows you to, when we say filter, we mean filter out the stuff that isn't great for you and keep in, filter in the things that may potentially be. But I find that often if you've made all of these little, complex, smaller decisions, like, hey, how do I want to do work? I want to, well, I wanted to be able to be in a place where I've got lots of window space as I do over to my left-hand side or not necessarily be cooped up in a particular room. And I wanted to be able to have the flexibility. And that part looks a little bit different for everybody. But whatever that looks like for you, making all those individual decisions and having that defined on paper, on purpose, your digital paper, then that allows you to be able to turn these really complex decisions like, hey, should I stay in my job or should I go get another job? And if so, what types of roles might actually be a good fit? It allows you to turn that into much more simple yes or no questions. And we can talk about what that looks like. But I'm curious, what other benefits have you found for having done this work to create a filter for yourself? Oh, gosh, so many. I mean, I think the one that popped into my mind just when you asked that question was, I still use my filter now. Now I'm in my dream career, right? But just because you get to the destination doesn't mean that you're done, right? In a lot of ways, this is probably just one more stop on hopefully a much longer journey. But I think I still use it today and I refine it. So now that I have it, what was really important to me last year might not be as important to me this year, either because I've really built a strong habit around it. Like you said, I'm so glad you brought up habits because they're so important, but I can tweak it and I can kind of reset it to focus on, okay, now five years from now, what do I want things to look like now? And as opportunities come my way, right, even now, 
what do I want to pursue and what seems like it might align. So it's just made the whole way that I approach my career now just much more intentional so that, like you said, I could be making yes, no decisions. And I mentioned at the beginning that I had a lot of trouble following my intuition. It's something I've been working on really hard a couple of years because I had intuitive hits all my life, but I'm such a thinker. I'm an INTJ. So I process everything. You outthink those intuitive hits? <laughs> yes. I look for data to yeah. make sense of something that you can't make sense of. So I would end up really you know, dismissing a lot of those things. And so I find that oddly enough, a filter can both help with that data piece of me, because let's run the numbers, but also can help intuitively, like I have a sense of the broader life that I want and career that I want. And so I can also trust a little bit more that intuition and that feeling of like, well, this doesn't feel like it fits within this bigger thing I've created. So to answer your question, I think the two big things are, is I continue to use it and make it better. And also it's greater than a sum of its parts. So it's become a, not just about data points that kind of thinking of like a robot, as I tend to think, but that I can think more holistically and get a sense of. So for me, that's been really important because, well, I think intuition is really important. So it's been important to me to factor that into my decision making. Super interesting. And I found too that ironically, going through the work of creating something, and again, we call it the ideal career profile. Some people call it your true north. There's a lot of names for things like this in the world, but going through the opportunity to create something that can act as a filter actually has allowed me to be more intuitive or more in tune with intuition as well and stop ignoring those things mm-hmm. where I feel it in my stomach, but then do it anyway, yeah, <laughs> because I yeah. think that I have to. Mm-hmm. So until you had said that, I don't know that I thought extensively about that, but it really, really very much has. Yeah. And just actually, you made me think of one other thing that I want to share, yeah. especially with people making big changes, either, you know, whether it's corporate to running their business or from not to profit to corporate or vice versa. So kind of major changes for them. Just because you make a change doesn't mean you change the things that you're trying to leave. And I think the other thing the filter did for me, right? I'm a workaholic, right? That's why I burned out. I ended up burning out twice, but that's a whole other story. But I'm a workaholic. And surprise, surprise, just because I'm in a much better career that kind of fits my life and all my other needs doesn't mean, you know, that tendency to work 24-7 magically goes away. And so I think the other thing the filter does is helps me remember that there are reasons that I made these changes. And so again, back to habits, you know, really focusing on the success habits that are going to enhance what I'm doing. Again, there's the what that I do, and then there's the how I approach it. And so I think for me, the ICP or the filter is really important in that aspect as well, because you can't outrun yourself. I've tried. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not fast enough. So yeah. I absolutely love that. And I very much appreciate that. I'm going to borrow that, by the way. You can't outrun yourself. (laughs) It's so true. If you want to get started in developing your own filter, I would absolutely encourage you to take advantage of some of the ideas that Caroline had mentioned here in terms of focusing on time travel and mining the past and evaluating what you are enjoying from the present and what's not working and digging into the future in one of a variety of different ways. And we will put all of that at 
happentoyourcareer.com forward slash 223. Otherwise, go to figureitout.co and you'll get an eight-day course that helps you begin pinning down what it is that you really want. Both of those are great ways to get started in doing exactly what we've been talking about here. And I so appreciate you taking the time. And I am wondering if you want to try and answer a few questions for people, if we've got a few going. I would love to. Well, let's do exactly that here. (laughs) And feel free for those folks here to drop in anything in the chat box here in terms of questions. And I'm scanning through the chat right now to make sure that we have (laughs) Jackie, who is inside our, she's a student in our career change bootcamp says, Love this. So glad that you're my coach, Caroline. Looking forward to the conversation on Tuesday. Lots to talk about. That's fantastic, Jackie. Well, the other thing too, you know, as people are typing in here, the other thing about filters that I've really found kind of interesting is, you know, we mentioned how it can reduce complex problems or complex questions into a simple matter of yes or no. And I just realized we haven't talked specifically about that, but here's a way to think about that exact thing. When you have a filter and you have a good idea of where it is that you want to go, whether we're calling it your true north or whether we're calling it your ideal career profile as we do, then it allows you to be able to evaluate different types of opportunities and say, hey, is this opportunity bringing me closer to my ideal career profile? Is this opportunity bringing me closer to my true north? Is this opportunity going to move me in the right direction? Because if it is, then that's where you should probably keep considering it. If it's not, then you can wipe it off the table. And I don't know what your experience has been, but I have found that to be one of the biggest value-added ways that I personally interact with clients and students because I was working with somebody the other day, actually, and he had like five or six different opportunities that were ready to pay him money in one way or another or turn into something else. And they were all pretty appealing at first glance. And as we went through in this exact type of exercise with the filter, we realized that actually three of them were terrible fits and they shouldn't be pursuing them because it ultimately was appealing on the short term, but really wasn't going to lead him closer down the path of where he really wanted to go. And he could have gone down any one of those paths, I'm making a word, (laughs) those paths, (laughs) and spent years pursuing one of those three things and ended up with essentially the wipe of a hand. You know, we created what we called an off-the-table list for him. And then we moved those things from in consideration to off-the-table based on using that filter and asking that one simple question, will this get me closer to where I want to go? But what's been your experience in working with people and really the power of a filter? I think just even the initial power of, and this is one of the things that got me into coaching, is just people don't know what they want. A lot of times they know what they don't want. And you know what? When you focus on what you don't want, what do you get? more what you don't want. And I think the filter helps you kind of rise out of where you are and start helping you survey what's around you. And it helps you get really honest with yourself about what you want. So I think just even that initial impact for a lot of people in putting down on paper and saying out loud, this is what I want is for a lot of people is a huge step I think you're absolutely right about for so many people, it's 
once they go through this exercise, they realize that the path that they thought they were going down, which is usually like the path of least resistance, the most likely path, they're like, you know what, I really want to do this thing. And it's just like this magical thing that kind of appear, it's not magical. I shouldn't use that word because it sounds too... It sounds too magical. It sounds magical. Unicorns and butterflies. Exactly. Double rainbows. Yeah, double rainbows, which do exist, by the way. But anyway, the double rainbows, not the unicorns. Anyway, I think it's just a really powerful exercise in being honest with yourself about what you really want with no holds bars, like without talking yourself out of it, without worrying about, well, how the heck am I going to get this? without the, oh, here's a million reasons why I could never do this. To me, that's the beautiful thing is when someone comes to you and they're going down one path and then this another, not even one path, but a whole array of choices open up to them, which is happening a lot now, like actually with our current cohort that's going through is they're starting to say, oh my goodness, really? I didn't think I could do this thing. And What about this area? And it's just, it's kind of a really cool thing because what I say is it helps you explore all of the options or a wider array of options while narrowing the focus on what's right for you. So you're not like casting this huge net that's like overwhelming, but you are seeing opportunities that you wouldn't normally see by using this filter, but you're also narrowing in a way. So it's kind of this interesting interplay between broadening what you see, but also focusing it in a way that is much more aligned to your strengths and values and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And we've got a couple of comments about that, actually. First of all, Dave (laughs) said, Dave totally agrees. He says, I always know what I don't want, Caroline. (laughs) And I think that's so true. As humans, it's easier many times for us to pick out what we don't want. And so to your point, we do focus on that. But we've also got a couple of different questions here too. And uh, Mark says, yes, it always comes down to unicorns and rainbows. I mean, really everything boils down to those two things, right? <laughs> okay. So Casey says, hey, I find difficulty with being a multi-potentialite. And for those of you that haven't listened, go back to one of our episodes with Emily Wapnick. She's become a good friend over the last couple of years and she's coined the term multi-potential. But basically it means somebody with many interests or somebody with multi-talents and somebody who's good at many different things as opposed to being a specialist. And she said, I find it difficult with being a multi-potentialite and picking out top goals and narrowing what those goals are down to a select few. What advice would you have for a multi-potentialite when it comes to that filtering? So I think there's a couple ways in, Casey. And first of all, I love that you're using that term and you're familiar with it because I think we get a lot of those, HTYC. I actually would say, don't narrow them down at this point. I think get really clear about what those things are. Someone actually in the boot camp the other day did something really cool where she said, I want to spend 60 to 70% of my time doing this type of work. And then I need the remaining percentage of time to be creative and kind of rest, basically. And so I think playing with those broad percentages. So let's say that you like to write and paint and make films. So how would those fit together? And so is it okay to write for 10% of your time as long as you're spending 90% of your time doing something else. So I would play around with it kind of how you see those looking. I think a lot of what the filter does, once you kind of have those big buckets, and it sounds like you have a lot of buckets about the stuff you like to do, is kind of go the next layer down and say, well, how does that look day to day, right? How much time during a given day would I spend doing this sort of thing ideally? And do I need to do it every day or as long as I can find some time to do it once a year or whatever? So I would play around with that. Scott, what are your ideas? 
I can absolutely empathize with that. And one of the things that I know from being a multipotentialite and working with a lot of other multipotentialites is that for every multipotentialite, it's a little bit different. So you have to figure out what is your version of different. And what we find is that something that you mentioned early on when we started talking in this conversation is that at some point you have to just go and act. And then through that acting, whether it be talking to somebody else, whether it be actually taking a job or set of jobs that may not be 100% lined up with every single possible thing that you could ever hope to do, you end up getting feedback and information. And then that allows you to get to the next step, which is defining further, hey, what does that look like? Is that a percentage of my day? Because I know that's how I operate in a lot of ways where I like the first of my half of my day to be devoted towards creative work. And I love to interact with people during the second half of my day. That's how my calendar is structured right now, quite frankly. But that's not for everybody. And it's certainly not for every multipotentialite. So you have to figure out what is your brand, if you will, of multipotential. I've found that you can get part of the way there through reflection and looking at the past and what you want the future to be. But at some point, you have to go ahead and act too. And then you get a whole new set of feedback and a whole new set of learnings in any way that you're going to act, whether it be having those conversations, whether it be reaching out to others, whether it be accepting another opportunity that appears to much better line up with what you want than being the perfect thing. So those are my quick thoughts on it. I think we've got another couple of questions here too. Helen says, hey, what's the best way to pick one focus and let go of competing interests? It's hard to move in two directions at the same time. I hope that makes sense. So I think Scott just gave a little clue, and I'm not sure exactly, Helen, where you are in your CCB journey, but I think sometimes you just have to start doing one or both. I mean, I think another thing which kind of gets to the question that Casey was talking about is, maybe it's a decision about, do I have to have this thing for my career or is it okay to have it in my life? So for me, design ended up being that thing that I actually decided I didn't want in my career for various reasons. And I'm much happier that I can express that in my life. And so that might be a way, Helen, to explore just to pick one and kind of start making moves. And then depending on where you want the journey, maybe you try both of them. But I think at some point, start playing around with what are the essential pieces that you have in your career. The other thing I would think about is, can you combine them? I love when I hear people say competing interests, right? What if they were cooperating interests? I worked with someone who was a nutritionist and a designer, and she had created a series of career pivots around blending these two things, which weren't necessarily competing, but they were very disparate things until she brought them together. So I think I would both look at how they can cooperate, number one, and perhaps blend them into a role. That's how I was in a lot of COO roles, and I did a lot of different things. And so I didn't have to pick one. I could get that variety across a lot of different things. And then the other way to do it as I did with the design, as I said, you know what, this will be a great hobby of mine. And so I'm going to focus on these other things in my career. Scott, anything to add to that? Yeah, I think I've had similar experience to what you have. So I would co-sign on all of that. And the only other thing that I might add is if you're looking for different ways to combine them together, if you're going down that route, then sometimes it's not always obvious right away. Sometimes you have to maybe take the best path forward that you can see at any given time and then continue looking for it too. Because here's the reality. Great example that I experienced in the past 
is like ever since I've been, I don't know, 13 years old and my voice started changing or whatever, everybody's like, you should be on the radio. And I'm like, radio doesn't pay jack. And I don't even know if I want to be on the radio or whatever. And as I went through life, started finding other different types of outlets to be able to do that. And now we run a podcast and now we do a lot of other different types of media. And technically, I'm not a radio person. Like, you know, I run this business and I'm a coach and I'm a whole bunch of other things that I enjoy doing that really do fit together in a kind of perfect combination for me. But that was not apparent 10 years ago. It really wasn't. And had I not taken other steps forward to move into HR, which was a portion of what I was great at and really enjoyed, and then made a number of other changes, then I wouldn't have made this pathway turn into this years later. It just wouldn't have been possible and wouldn't have happened. So sometimes you have to, especially when you're combining things together like that, move forward before you have 100% of it figured out. I think we have time for one more question here. Ashel, I believe, was next. Found out what I want, but my main difficulty is being able to use my talent to develop into a career. I don't have any specific talents, but I know I want to help others understand what they're good at and how to devise a plan to reach their objectives. What advice do you have to develop that into a career? Ooh. Join CCB. We can definitely explore it together. But I think, first of all, it's a really great awareness that you have. First of all, you said, I don't have any specific talents, but I know how to help others. So you have a specific talent. That is how to help others understand what they are good at and how to... Yeah, that's a very specific talent. And it is a great talent to have. I think a couple people have also noted that. And I think... I would think through, well, what are the various applications of that? How could I help others? And I'm so glad you asked this question because I think this will help a lot of other people as well. I also am good at helping others understand what they're good at and devising a plan to reach their objectives. So is Scott. The three of us might do that in a very different way. And so go the next layer down and really, and the next layer after that and the next layer after that, really challenge yourself to understand, well, what does that look like? What are you helping people to do? And why, Scott has this great exercise called the five whys, which is continuing to ask yourself why to really get to the core nugget of what is it about that activity that is so important to you, which then opens up a ton of possibilities and awareness around that. So I think Start with that nugget because it is a fantastic skill to have that you can apply in any number of ways. And so I would start to unpack what's behind that for you and really expand on that core idea you have. Scott, what do you have to say? Yeah, absolutely. I believe that it is a very marketable skill. Somebody else made that comment as well. And it can be a marketable skill in a lot of different ways. I mean, being in leadership, that's a main core of leadership when you're leading many different people. That's something honestly, is I have done tons of surveys and interviews and all kinds of stuff. When people look fondly on bosses, that's usually one of the main things that they're reflecting upon is they helped me get where I want to go. And they saw something that I didn't see in myself. And I was able to use that to be able to push forward. So it's great in leadership, but it's also great in a lot of other different areas too. And we've had a few pointed out here in the chat, like career coach, hey, that's a thing too. But to Caroline's point, you do have to go a step further and often multiple steps further where you're trying to evaluate what is the context in which I enjoy this the most and I'm the best at. And you might find that it's drastically different. As you pointed out, Caroline, it might be drastically different than the way that I 
enjoy that and I'm good at that, or you are, or the next person is. And then that's where you can get even much, much, much more specific. And once you have that type of specificity, it's easier to align it with the places, or it's easier to be able to go back and ask that question. It's like, hey, is this opportunity going to get me closer to being able to spend more time in this area and more of my day being able to help people in this particular way? And if it is, that's fantastic. And if it's not, that's okay too. Caroline, I so appreciate you taking the time and making the time and coming on the show and doing this, especially making HTYC history here with our first ever <laughs> live recorded podcast. And I appreciate that. Thank you for leaving a mark in the HTYC history. <laughs> Happy to be my perhaps black mark on your history, but Not at all. it was really, really fun. Thank you guys all for your questions and the great activity happening in the chat box. And I hope to see some of you throughout as you're making these decisions or if you decide to come through the program. So keep working on going after the career you love. Next week on Happen to Your Career, we hit the road and fly to Austin. Texas to South by Southwest to record a podcast live in person with the senior editor of the uber popular social science and psychology blog, The Science of Us. You've probably heard of it. And she tells us a bit about her journey to overcome awkwardness. In fact, she even wrote a book about it. A lot of the things that we call awkward are things that feel uncertain or make us feel self-conscious. And people don't like unpredictability. We don't like uncertainty. Almost every single question can be boiled down to the same advice, which is you have to have the awkward conversation. You have to talk to them. You either have to have the awkward conversation or you have to live with the thing that's bothering you. Join us next week right here on Happen to Your Career for a very special road trip episode with Melissa Dahl, the author of Cringeworthy, A Theory of Awkwardness. Until then, head on over to happentoyourcareer.com to get all the podcasts, subscribe for new resources, and find career happiness in meeting so we can help you get there as fast as possible. In fact, we even just started offering resume, LinkedIn, and personal branding and marketing services. Hey, we'll see you next week. Adios. I'm out.